Hi, Nick. Hi, Caleb. Do you think snails, do you think they get, like, enough vacations? <laughs> hmm. If you're a creature and who, like, carries your house around on your back. Uh, yeah. Can you ever really take a vacation? Yeah, are they all staycations, I guess? I guess so. Uh, yeah, I mean, they still, like, live in, like, a stump or, like, a rock or something. Like, they have... It's not really fair to say that the snail shell is its actual home. That's kind of like <laughs> saying my clothes are my home. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which I don't leave them, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> they say home is where the heart is, and my heart is on my sleeves. And so. my heart is inside my chest, which is inside my shirt at all times. <laughs> Transitive property. My clothes are my home. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, their commute is, no matter what, terrible. That and I agree with. <laughs> it must be really exhausting. And they work so hard. You know, they're, like, making sure that our gardens are healthy. They do. They're, they make um, sure everything's, like, absolutely slimed enough. What has brought to mind the plight of the snail for you on this beautiful morning, Caleb? Well, I'll be totally honest with you, and the answer is capitalism. I'm thinking oh. that there's a market for uh, snail vacation destinations. You know, I'm always ready to try to make money and fail. Make money and snail, <laughs> Nicholas, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I'm thinking, okay, I'm just thinking I can make some specialized terrariums uh -huh. built specifically for snails to come from all over the country and just like take a break you know it's not not a retirement community because they're they do get to leave presumably yeah yeah yeah. yeah. well it depends on how long their lives are so it'll depend on the breed of snail whether the like trip then necessitates their retirement that's true um or not <laughs> okay all right yeah i'm into that i like opportunities i like uh businesses and i love vacations and I like to be nurturing, so I'm, I'm into this whole thing. Yeah. Assuming, like, have the money. Okay. Like, we've already got it. What do you, sure. what, what do you think you should put in, like, a snail vacation destination? Like, what should be there? Do you think they like more of a Six Flags or a, a whitewater situation? Definitely more like whitewater. I think, it, yeah. I think it needs to be pretty relaxing. Do you think a snail likes a water slide, or is it more like a tide pool? Ooh, I, bet a, I bet a slide better than a tide pool, because I bet a snail really likes to be connected to, like, something. Oh! Like, they want to be, like sliding down it with their slime yeah 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 and that would be an opportunity for them to like experience speed yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly they they get to take a break from going so slow and really feel it which is why we um, like that's why i like roller coasters and so forth too because i can finally be at one with the speed force mm -hmm. one of the best things about theme parks obviously is that you go so fast that you actually reclaim a few seconds of your life you go back in time a little uh -huh, bit uh-huh thanks to the speed force I think, so I definitely think there needs to be some water, maybe like a yeah. nice body of water. Yes. Um, and they're pretty small, so it doesn't have to, like, it can be like a, like a lake that's just sort of like a big bowl. Okay, sure. And then, I, then I think I'm going to put some, like, nice plants for them to, like, climb on and chew on or whatever mm -hmm. nearby. Maybe like a big leaf out over the water. It just sounds like good, beautiful nature that we're making. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, like on the leaf, there'll be uh -huh. stuff like a uh, like a uh, like a Ferris wheel. There'll be like a place where you can fish on a leaf. Yeah, just like hanging out on the leaf. It's like little. It's for the snails. Sure, and sure, there's sure. like we can put that water slide there. It's like there's like can be a whole carnival. Uh -huh. um, I just think that like more than anything else, what we definitely need at this vacation destination is a pier on a plant. <laughs> <laughs> Wow.
Okay, mine at one point, I thought you might be going this way, so I didn't say it. Because <laughs> when I, when we were talking about the um, snails going down the slides, I was like, gotta escargo fast. <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't say that. I'm glad no one had to hear me say it. No, it's great. That's a great joke. Here on a plant. Welcome to the 2018 Smashtacular. Hello. Here on your two show. We've just watched the uh, Smash Nintendo Direct. And uh, we're not going to talk about it immediately, but we might talk about it. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely. We're coming at you live. Live from several weeks ago, probably. On what must be a, like, some kind of, like, galactic holiday. Because we've got <laughs> the, we've got this Smash Direct. We've got a brand new Carly Rae Jepsen hit single. Yes. And now we've got this bad episode of Sonic Underground. And we've watched my, what I think is the worst episode of Sonic Underground so far. <laughs> and a lot of them have been definitely pretty good, but worst. this is definitely the worst. Definitely one of the worst ones. Um, <clears throat> my name uh, is Nick Splendor. Yeah, and I'm Caleb Zane Hewitt, and this is your two show. It is our sacred duty to watch a cartoon mm-hmm. and then talk to you about it, even when the whole time we were watching the cartoon, we're going, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So I'm thinking uh, that we will give a little bit of a recap of it in very vague terms, talk very yes. briefly about it, say if there was anything good that uh-huh. we liked, and then move on and maybe talk about Smash Brothers for a little while. I would love that. I w- Please come along with us, friends, on this journey past this episode of Sonic Underground. Recap. So, Caleb, what episode of Sonic Underground did we watch today? Well, we watched what episode 11? What is referred and... to by some as episode 11, and the, <laughs> the title is, Who Do You Think You Are? And I think that's a very important question related yeah. to this episode of Sonic Underground. The people who wrote this episode... Who do you think you are? <laughs> and also, also now, I forgot about the title of this episode. Yeah. Now I'm trying desperately to understand what it means. Well, Sonya loses her memory. Right. Due to a yes. classic cartoon concussion. Yeah, so this episode starts with some world building. Yeah. We're sitting in a van. Sonya's putting on a mud mask. Mm-hmm. Her brothers poke fun at her for it, and she explains that her mud mask is from a country that I'm not going to name because nope. it's just a like a weird, like vague pastiche of uh-huh. like middle east naming it's yeah. it's a bad name and it's the first time we've even heard about this country yep. she puts this mud mask on they make fun of her for liking this kind of mud but not other kinds of mud it's the first of many like gender related goofs mm-hmm. in this episode and then it turns out that actually they have to go to this country because they got a message from a courier that says there is a myth a story a legend uh-huh that their mother has left her journals below the palace of this country, this country's palace. That's interesting. Caleb, are there any legends about your journals? (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, this isn't Queen Alina's country. She, like, went to this other country that apparently has rulers, but we don't meet them. Presumably she has no dominion there. Like, it is kind of occupied by Robotnik, but it has not been, like completely roboticized in the way that Mm -hmm. Mobotropolis has. It's a stretch at this point to assume that every single episode is going to deal with some other aspect of Queen Alina's secret prophecy plan. Mm -hmm. And this episode really feels that. Like, I really felt it. You felt the stretch? I felt the stretch. Yeah. I was just like, (laughs) oh, her journal is in another country and people talk about that the stretch gets even weirder yeah it does as it goes on as a as a brief description to paint the picture of what this place looks like it looks like somebody watched disney's aladdin yes and then drew 
what they remembered from that, uh-huh. but then took metal pipes and put those between the buildings. Uh-huh. It's like an impression of an impression of a country that doesn't exist. Yes. And then is like a series of things that they think are kind of vaguely like Middle Eastern, yeah. all thrown together, um, including the rule that Sonya needs to like cover her body except for her eyes yeah very casually stated as just like the custom here yes it's not good right yeah it's obviously we're not the ones to really like talk about it or be like experts on this but what it what it feels like from where we are sitting is like a bunch of narrative shortcuts Uh done by people who like like i also knowing very little about the actual culture of countries in the middle east yeah could have also approximated what they have done here just based on the vague things that I know. It's the mismash or the, the like the mashing together of various stereotypes and things you think you know. And it is mm-hmm. almost identical to Aladdin. The guy that's introduced, Rafi, has After he finishes introducing himself by singing banana phone. <laughs> I loved Rafi. Yeah, me too. <laughs> big fan. Uh Baby Beluga swimming in the water, big fan. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> like he's got Aladdin's little vest on, you know, mm-hmm. he t- actually says like, the SWAT bots approach him, and they say, Riff Raff, Street Rat. Yeah, well, there are a couple of really direct Aladdin references. <laughs> yeah. He says, trust me, to her at one point, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. It would be fine if it kind of stopped there, but then it goes just far beyond Aladdin to try to, like, say more about the culture of this place yeah. in a way that is just, like, kind of gross. Yep. And, like, even Aladdin, like, obviously, not a super, like, well-done, beautiful, like, researched exploration of a real-life region of the world. Sure. But, like... It is made even worse by taking literally the Aladdin visuals and then also pretending they're based on a real place. I know. Yeah. What else happens? <laughs> Sleet and Dingo are also there because they're basically collecting taxes. Yes. They're like, you guys aren't going to get out of giving us your treasure this time. What an incredible um, coincidence for Sleet mm-hmm. and Dingo to appear in this distant land. And Sonic even says, he's like, well, this makes it feel just like home. Perfect. Yeah. Which which is a thing to maybe mention narratively allows them to continue the same basic structure. Like... Mm-hmm. This uh, really felt, this episode just felt tired in so many ways to me. Yeah. Like, within the series, and I don't want to, like, harsh on it too bad, I guess, but it was hard to stay interested in it because it followed the established formula Mm -hmm. of this conflict with Sleet and Dingo, and it recycled so many other tropes and, and elements from other media and cultural stereotypes and so forth that it really, including, including, Sonya gets hit in the head dingo turns into a bot ball a drone Mm -hmm. and then raffi hits it with a baseball bat it bounces off a wall hits sonya in the head and then she loses her memory temporarily yeah and then uh, she gets it back later when she gets the the classic reverse concussion yeah exactly like and i I remember i guess being kind of interested in the amnesia plot as a kid Mm -hmm. yeah i guess i it did work for me a little bit because there is this like wow what if i did lose my memory like, that isn't the worst possible thing, but it just feels, it felt especially tired to me. Here's what I think is interesting. Yeah. We are on episode 11 of this show, and while it has had something like a formula, this is the first time that I felt like we bumped up against it so much that I noticed. Like Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. The first, like, three or four episodes were all so different, and they were not following a formula at all because they were trying to set up the universe yeah. in an interesting way. And then from that point forward, they were using the narrative engine of Sleet and Dingo doing something and them having to fight them. Yes. And also Queen Alina's, like, trail of breadcrumbs. Yeah. They were using that engine to 
like fuel us learning more about the world. Every episode we've learned more about like the culture of a certain place or the a certain figure that's very interesting. Yeah. We've seen like how Sonia grew up and who she was going to be engaged to and we've learned about like uh the different parts of Bobotropolis and there have been all sorts of details in these other ones that even when they are based on classic stories, like remember the Mobo Dune episode? Yeah, I was just thinking about Mobo Dune, yeah. Even when they are like pastiches or references, they have also introduced something kind of original. They've introduced something interesting about this world specifically. And this one, everything down to its its narrative structure, the characters in it, the main character we meet is Rafi, and he is such a just like Aladdin. Yeah. That by the end of it, the most interesting about thing about him is that he's had one of the most permanent He's received one of the most permanent punishments for being a part of the rebellion that anybody has, right. and that's that his lower, the lower half of his body gets roboticized. <clears throat> yeah, there's not really too much to him other than that. I just had a hard time getting invested in this episode, like, at all. And it kept, like, basically trying to buck me out of, like, following along and enjoying it by doing something else, like kind of racist, or, or sexist, yeah. or whatever. Like, these, like, there were so many jokes about, like, Oh, that's what a girl likes. Oh, now you have to dress up like a girl. So drag is always a really complicated thing to talk about when it comes to gender and when, especially in storytelling, drag on its own, even when drag is done in the way that it's like meant to be done also is already kind of a thing that has, is discussed as potentially being Mm -hmm. problematic or having sexist elements um, or having transphobic elements. And in this episode, there's a, there's a period of time where Sonic and Manic dress up as women in order to, like, dance and, like, basically seduce Sleet into not paying attention long enough that they can save Sonya and Raffi and also, like, get more information on where their mother's journal is. Yes. Which they find out is in a, like, sort of connected to the dungeon part of the sewer. Everybody kind of figures out all at once where the journal is, which is, like, below the palace near the sewer. But during this sequence, when they are in drag, I honestly, like, weirdly enough, in, like, the same outfit that becomes the drag outfit in uh, Breath of the Wild. We gotta give them credit, because here again, the seeds (laughs) of culture are planted and sprouting. Well, it makes me wonder about, like, what is it about? Because, again, in Breath of the Wild, it's also this, like, kind of, like, Middle Eastern pastiche. (sighs) Yeah. That then becomes a drag outfit that I guess is based almost entirely on the idea that people cover their bodies so heavily that it would be easy to do that. I guess so. I actually don't know... Now that we're seeing this as, like, a possible broader trope, I don't actually know where that comes from. The, because the point is that Link's wearing a veil. Yes. Right? Like, that's the idea. And I think that's the same thing here because they're also wearing this veil. We have this idea of, like, belly dancers as being a thing that is, like, specific to that area. Yeah. And then also the ability to cover your face when you are, like, a young man means that you can, like, pretend that you are a woman. Sure. And it's, it seems like that's like that it's more functional than it is based on culture, but there could be like an actual cultural reference they're making, and I just don't know it. I don't know either. Either way, it's like the thing that I would most that I am most interested in when it comes to their drag is that something that they do correctly uh-huh. through the whole episode is, except for very very briefly, there's like one shot of Sonya being like, Ugh. they don't yeah. ever like make the fact that they are dressed up as women. And a like actual verbal textual joke. True. Yep. It is an it is kind of an implied one. Like you're you're meant to sort of find it funny that they are dressing up as women. Yeah. But they don't belabor like, oh, I have to put on these like girls' clothes. And and the closest thing they get to that is at the end, Sonya says to Manic, like, you looked incredible. You looked way better than Sonic did. Yeah. And Sonic very genuinely is like, that hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, there is like potentially this thread through the show of starting with 
ew, why are you putting mud on your face? Like, right. that girly thing you're doing is gross. To them having to, like, dress up in women's clothes and then discovering that they're like, oh, it's fine. This is something we had to do and actually, like... I looked really good in that. The like negative side is that it is kind of reaffirming this idea that I've heard like a lot of trans people complain about, which is that media loves to pretend like clothes can completely transform your gender. Yeah, yeah. And like, and that everyone around you is going to one hundred percent believe you immediately uh, if you just like change your clothes. Yeah. And this does kind of like contribute to that narrative. And this kind of story, this kind of joke was so common in this time period. Yep. And like still, we still like I keep thinking about like the most recent egregious example that I butted heads against was I think the Hobbit movies. Oh yeah. There's like that character in the Hobbit movie who spends like the second two movies just like in drag and they're like, look at how funny it is that he's like so so clearly a man in this dress. And yeah. the fact that that is still pervasive makes me look back at this in the nineties and be like, I know that you guys were not like trying to be directly hurtful but oof, you really did contribute to this like yes and the fact <laughs> landscape that, like at that time for so many people in our culture that was just a safe joke like yeah like it's no problem uh included in a kid's program what could the matter be with making yeah exactly what could possibly be a problem of yeah. course it's hilarious and and that aspect of it is just another piece of this episode that they that's just not so hot that they yeah. didn't do very well. Yeah, agreed. I was going to say one of my favorite things of this episode yeah, good, is that they followed the, the Sonic Underground uh, tradition of committing to always showing us them pushing buttons on consoles. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and it's still hilarious. They'll always show us like a weird square, like a computer that only has six buttons uh-huh. and somebody's pushing two of them in a pattern. And they always make sure to show us those buttons getting pushed in a way that I think is hilarious. Yes. Because it means nothing. It's a useless shot. You could just see someone's hand moving around and you'd be fine but they draw attention to how bad the computers are in this <laughs> show except that even at this time the very idea of interfacing with a computer was a futuristic idea that's and the true. idea yeah. of like a big console with a lot of mysterious buttons and someone knowing what to press that was futuristic yeah, that's such a good point. It's like Star Wars, where all the panels are really exactly. bad. But the but it still seems like this really cool yeah. thing because and I I I had not put myself in that headspace. I was being a very modern Caleb thinking about this. But at the time, you're right. Like this would have been before or right about when, like personal computers were starting to really be spread everywhere. Yeah, and I remember my imaginative space uh, as a kid. Even though we had computers in the house early, the mm-hmm. idea of like punching the command sequence, like. Like, beep, boop, beep, whop. Okay, it's happening. You know, the, the idea that, that the computer itself exposes this, like, physical interface that can do dangerous things, where you wouldn't just type on a keyboard. Like, it's not about programming. It's almost a, a, a password or, a, like, a combination lock or something. Like, this <laughs> physical manifestation of, of the power of computers. Which I know is kind of similar to what you like about, like, the Power Rangers, right? It's the, like, rhythm, the, like, ability to execute a command and have something cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or to, like, take a crystal and lock it into a socket and then twist Uh it this way and then go, (laughs) ha! Rhythm, pattern, and it is more, like, these computers, the way computers are conveyed in kids' programs in the 90s and and 2000s has a lot more to do with like rhythm games maybe than it does mm-hmm. with like real computers or it maps onto yeah. that desire to just like know the sequence and punch in the code. I like that stuff. Yeah, and it makes me think of how like we had this like old Apple computer when I was a kid. We had one of the like like a, not original uh-huh. ones, but one of the like older ones that I remember 
I would sit down with and poke around on and maybe play like one of those little adventure text games on. And I always felt very underwhelmed by it. Yeah. Like because of the like technology I was seeing on cartoons and the things that I, I was assuming were just like kind of real devices I'd eventually get to interface with. Right. Actually dealing with a real computer felt kind of like, Oh, is this, this is it. There's like a bunch of boring stuff on here and I don't even know how to use any of it. So I can see why that would be especially appealing at that time. And that's why so many people like that strokes album. The strokes album. Is this it? Is about that. It's about computers. Oh, it's about it's about the it's Apple about, computer. It's about Apple computers. Mm-hmm. Um, one other. Okay, my favorite part of this episode was yes. when uh, Sonia is captured and put in jail, uh-huh. and Sleet is there, and he says, <laughs> "Maybe I'll be able to insert a little audio clip here." But he says, "Not so fast, Siba, Princess, Princess Siba." Poor Princess Sibu. And we paused. Remember who you are. We paused. Yeah, exactly. It's like he forgot which <laughs> Disney movie they were making fun of or or inhabiting. We rewound and watched this clip three or four different times, and he just yeah. says Sibba. He now he's not saying Sybil like he misremembered her name. Yeah, he did misremember her name because then she's like, "It's Sonya." Yeah, the closest thing we get is her saying it's Sonya, and Sybil was the like only thing I can even like make kind of work. But he's not but saying I, Sybil. I'm, he's no, he's saying just not Sibba. saying it. Oh boy, that that really tickled my gourd, and I. Well, what? We looked for like a transcript. We looked nope. for anything. If you have, if you can solve this mystery of like what he says, yes, uh, because please. the video we're watching now on on YouTube doesn't, or at least we didn't have access to subtitles, so I don't know. But in any case, I do recommend you watch and then rewatch the part where Sleet says, Poor Princess Sibba. Princess Sibba. <laughs> yeah, and you can hit it. You can hit it there again. Um, the other complaint I have about this episode is that most of the jokes are actually not very good. But yes. the, uh, there is a joke that is good. And it's that while she's also while she's in jail, maybe somebody else just wrote the jokes for this part. Mm-hmm. While she's in jail, Rafi is like uh, messing with the lock and she says, have you picked it yet? And he says, no, it's a very old lock. <laughs> yeah, that got me too. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. <laughs> and so then she just like kicks it down or whatever. Yes. Even the song in this one was kind of bad. Uh, yeah, it really wasn't. Structurally, this, this episode did try to follow more of a cohesive narrative. Like it, it, yes, it tried to be very straightforward and clear. And if we're trying, you know, we talked about last week with uh, um, uh, Moby Deep, mm-hmm. that had more connective through lines and things that sort of paid off. And so this episode does have more of an attempt at unified themes and payoffs in the end. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they worked very well, and the things they tried to tie together were kind of made of garbage so okay well let's let's look at that actually like let's keep okay. let's keep going down that path so the thing that i liked about moby deep is that it took it it connected its personal problem to its plot structure problem like and so then that was like the main thing that we loved about it was that it took the we took sonic's fear and like he had to deal with that in order to solve the like plot world problem. We had a character problem and a plot problem happening right next to each other. Yeah. In this one, the closest thing we have to that is actually Sonic's appreciation of Sonya and like understanding of Sonya. Sure. Because we have the beginning. uh, One of the like key moments early on is uh, Sonya actually says, 
we should wear disguises and just like walk inside to go get it. Yes. And Sonic and Manic are both like, no, we're just going to walk through the sewer. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, we love the sewer. <laughs> we love the sewer so much. Manic especially, even Sonic later when they're in the sewer, Sonic is like, maybe this was a bad idea. And Manic is like, what are you talking about? I love this place. It's great once you hang out in here for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> My nose doesn't work at all. It's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> all food tastes the same. I, uh, But... By the end of the episode, what Sonic realizes is, oh, Sonya was right the whole time. Yeah. We do need to put on a disguise, and that's going to be how we save the day. And that is tied to, like, that's tied to the, what happens in the plot, because Sonya gets, like, literally removed, and they have to deal with the effects of that. Like, what happens when Sonya isn't even herself? Like, yes. what do they get from that? Yep. The thing that this episode doesn't land, that I think maybe if you were, like, sitting down and writing out what was going to happen in this episode, is it seems like the message should be that... When Sonya is uh, not Sonya, mm-hmm. the stuff that she doesn't like is, and the stuff that like they find annoying is gone. Like she, she's not worried about getting dirty. She like will sleep wherever. She's like hanging out with these poor people. Yes. Like this is a lot of the stuff that they find annoying about her has like disappeared. Yeah. But the stuff that is good about her should also have gone, and we should see the tie between those things. Right. Yes, that's true. Yeah. And the episode doesn't do that because what is it? What it does is it takes away those that takes away all of her basically all of her personality yeah. and leaves her only with superpowers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She just like intuitively does her whirlwind move at a certain point and mm-hmm. like well she picks up a SWAT bot and throws it. Yeah. Which I don't remember her having that amount of strength. Probably yeah, super strength. she did, but it's almost like oh does she have super strength now that she's just like not afraid to you know, now that she's not second guessing herself or afraid mm-hmm. of getting dirty, does she have this strength she never discovered? But we don't really get into that. And that's and that's the weird thing is that this what the episode actually kind of ends up doing is making a case for her not being herself. Like because yes. she functions as a like powerful plot device that doesn't hold anybody up when she is like not Sonya. Yeah, and then in the end she does learn like she dives into the sewer muck. Oh, that's true. She does do that at the end. Yeah. She kind of has a little bit of like, okay, well, I've been worried about getting dirty, but I guess I just can't. Mm-hmm. Like, why was I, uh, why did I have to be born a freedom fighter or whatever? But she does have some movement there. It's not complete. It doesn't land a hundred percent. Like the things aren't, the, that connection is not even obvious. Mm-hmm. But right? you're right. That moment is good because then to like that, the way that, I forgot about that and what it does kind of is create a map of, by having her memory removed, like by forcing her to not stick to the stuff that she's like believed about herself in the past, she is able to, when she is herself again, look at that time and go, oh, I survived it. I made it through. Yes. And because the beginning of this episode was drawing a contradictory part of her personality into focus, the mm. fact that she is like scared of getting dirty, but will specifically apply this mud because apparently it will make her beautiful. Like, yes, that, that is supposed to be like a moment that shows that she's a little bit hypocritical, that she's got kind of this problem where she's like holding these two conflicting things in her head. Uh-huh. And I think that they do show her like learning from that by the end. You're right. Yeah, that she's okay. like, okay, well I can survive this. And Sonic, Sonic especially has to do something along those lines too, where he doesn't trust Sonya. He doesn't want to put on a costume. Mm-hmm. And then he learns, Oh, she did have the right idea. This actually was not a good plan that I had. And then in the end, that last scene where they are like, like, you know, Manic, you you looked better than Sonic did. They're all kind of playing along. Yeah. They're all in the moment together going, haha, we all learned. Like there is this little bit of growth even in that part. But there is a weird 
there's a weird tone to it when yes raffi has his the lower half of his body roboticized uh-huh. and they're they have not had to deal with the consequences of their actions at all uh-uh. and when they get out of there all they find out from the journal is I will rejoin my kids. She's written, I will rejoin my kids, but they have to, they just have to keep completing trials, which we already knew. And Sonic even says, so we came out here for this? Yeah, so what happened was that they came in, meddled. Raffi ended up hurt because of their meddling and because of him protecting Sonya. Uh-huh. Even though he tries to say like, wow, maybe I should thank them because now I have powerful legs. But right. no, I don't think that's right. I'm not sure that's exactly how that goes. And like, even if like, regardless of whether or not it's kind of a superpower, you still had like, uh, your identity like taken from uh-huh. you and you were put in this like really dangerous situation. And the like fact that they get to like have not gained anything except like some personal growth and everybody else has to deal with the like ramifications of their actions is like a little bit yes. rough. Yes, physical trauma for the bystanders <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, character development for the stars. Yeah. Uh, for the like people who came from another nation <laughs> to uh-huh. have their adventure that turned out to not really, I mean, the most charitable thing you could say is that Queen Alina's, first of all, that they I mean, they don't need to track down every artifact of Queen Alina's life. Right. And it's sort of maybe funny a little bit that it's like some of the things we find of hers are just going to be like a regular shoe. Oh, my God. That's the other thing. Yeah. We see her drop it off. She's right there. Queen Alina is right in front of them and she sets the journal down when they arrive, which means the whole rumor was fake and her journals didn't even exist and she she brought them there on purpose in order to set it down in front of them. Uh-huh. Which, which means that she... So, okay, here's yeah. maybe what the episode was intending to be. Maybe they were supposed to have been... Like, over the course of this, they, like, helped with the resistance, but it doesn't actually seem like they did that. Like, the text did not help did not really show us that they helped with the resistance of this country. Uh-huh. But I bet that's what was happening. I bet the plan was Queen Alina wanted them there to get involved and help Raffi with this like small corner of the resistance fighting Robotnik. And Got that's it. why she just like lured them there. But that is not supported nope. by the text in the end, except by the fact that we know she like faked it. But otherwise, but what the text does support is that she like wanted them to like go visit this place and have an adventure. Uh-huh. But it and like get involved with the rebellion over there, which is the nice but it's still weird that the result of it was not that they like freed everybody from Robotnik it was just that they like saved Raffi in a situation that they created yes and there are two layers of fate here mm-hmm. when you have the prophecy that Queen Alina is working from mm-hmm. where she feels absolutely confident that she knows not only what is going to happen but what's best on the way there yeah and then she uses that for the second layer which is this like helicopter parent aspect that yeah. like every episode is revealed that she's pulled the strings really directly yeah. <laughs> and was very nearby mm-hmm. but ultimately regardless of the consequences to the rest of the world her number one goal is for her children to learn the lessons they need yeah. to ultimately defeat Robotnik <laughs> and what is the message there about parenting like it says what what it's saying what the what the text is currently promoting yeah. is that like uh if she rewarded them with her presence somehow she wouldn't succeed right yeah. which implies which implies somehow that like they would be demotivated by uh, by seeing her directly yeah or that they they require this motivation of like striving for their parent in order to get anything done which is 
messed up, actually. It is messed up. And they, a lot of kids a lot of kids don't respect their parents, like, directly. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a lot of, like, come on, Mom, don't tell me what to do. So there may be something uh, to the idea of the stealth helicopter parent. Right. Like, <laughs> making your kids think that you're gone forever and that they've got to learn to be independent, but still being in the shadows and helping them, like, you know, finish their math homework or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what I'm going to do. Giving them... You know what? <laughs> Caleb, here's my homework for this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go have a kid. All right. And I'm going to stealth helicopter the child. See how it goes. Around the age of eight, I think. I will vanish. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll be nearby. I'll put on some kind of a costume or mm-hmm. disguise. And I'll try, I'm going to see, what I'm saying is my new long-term goal for this podcast is to find out whether it's a good idea to raise your kids the way Queen Alina is raising hers. (laughs) Well, so I think the the, like very generous reading that you're giving of like, it's about kind of giving your kids freedom and like allowing them to like, like learn for themselves instead of like directly from you. And speaking as a father, I do understand this sort of thing, but go ahead. Would be fine (laughs) if their ultimate goal wasn't to get her visible approval. Like, her visible approval and to restore the power structure, like put her back on the right. throne. They are seeking her so directly that that doesn't mm-hmm. count. Because what it, what I think that lends itself to is a less kind reading of a parent that wants you to be striving for them. She's holding herself hostage. Yeah, exactly. She is. Instead of going like, oh, no, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. So now they've got to be independent, and but, in this, but like manipulating things from the shadows. And in this case, the prophecy, right, is just her like parenting philosophy. Like that, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Here, is it's like a uh, like, well, I have to commit to this arbitrary thing. I decided it's the right way. And if I don't do that, who knows what will happen? I don't know how many binds you can be in at once. There's a double bind. There's a triple bind. There's a lot of binds going on here. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's being manipulated by some. Ultimately, they're being manipulated by the prophecy. By the prophet, by that crocodile guy. Yes. Uh huh. Who remember from early episodes directly in, gets into Robotnik involved. Like he he goes directly to the bad guys and makes them be a part of this situation. Oh yeah, it's super weird. Yeah. Why does ever? We don't need to get into this, but why do so many stories have to do this? I know. Why is this the number one mode of like myth making? especially for children. I want to write about prophecies so bad because it drives me so crazy. Like, I, I will yeah. want to do uh. a story about this because of how much it bothers me. And it always breaks down. Like, there is mm-hmm. just no... It, it's unrealistic to the point of uselessness. Mm-hmm. It distorts our our opinions about what you're supposed to do. I absolutely had, like, chosen one complex when I was a child. Right, yes. Like, I mapped my stories onto my life. And decided that things were going to work out great because mm-hmm. I must be the star of my own story. Well, and right now, I know this, like, here we go. Welcome to, welcome to politics real quick. What, yeah. what it makes me think about and what it reminds me of is the feeling that uh, you also get when you are told about specific government structures. Like, for example, democracy. You're told, like, this is the right idea and the way that we have set it up is the right idea. And so as long as you continue to follow this set of rules that we have mm-hmm. decided for sure is the right one, then things will work out okay. But what we are actually realizing and what we what you have to realize is 
as a person too, not just in a political sense, is that like every situation and every piece of your life requires you to be adapting and changing and looking at the reality of the situation as it is in that moment. Yeah. And not as is this like overall idea of what like is definitely the way you must live. Yes. And prophecies are the perfect example of something that of, of somebody telling you like, well, here's a really easy out. You just have to follow this path and everything will be chill. Uh-huh. But for the most part, that's uh, in the real world, that kind of feeling and that kind of message is used in a manipulative way and not in a an actual useful one. Absolutely. And our present political climate involves so many forms of like prophecy and like working to fulfill the prophecy. Is it a stretch to say that some people consider the Constitution to be a prophetic document? No, no, that's like, exactly what I'm thinking yeah. about. Yeah. There we have all these all these little tiny prophecies built into like our the way that we're raised, especially in America specifically. Yeah. The like prophecy of the American dream and the like the pathway that is laid before you that if you just work hard you get this gift of money and if like yeah. that is a that is a direct that is a prophecy functionally uh-huh. it is a like you chosen child if you become a lawyer you will become very wealthy and your life will be great like right it is a it is a like really really direct thing that we're told and we are made to believe and that might be why we've been attracted to those kinds of stories but yeah, they yeah. are they are usually used to trap you into a certain way of thinking and keep you from paying attention to the reality the way that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely the case here in Sonic Underground. <laughs> yeah, where we're trapped into watching this because we said we would. And we... <laughs> All right, yeah, whatever. Not the best episode. That was some interesting stuff. Oh, but I'm, yeah, but I like the the ability to talk about this because I think just like what we're going to be doing going forward when we talk about other shows, we talk yeah. about other stories. Sometimes we can learn a lot from the when stories are crafted poorly. Absolutely. It is not a requirement that every aspect of every piece of media be perfect and perfectly considered and made immaculately, right? Mm-hmm. That's okay. You know, I've, I've seen a couple of people commenting recently how they wish more TV had, like, breathing room and filler episodes mm-hmm. uh, in the way that these older shows do. Because... This episode really accomplishes very little mm-hmm. in terms of a, like character development, action, meaning to the larger context. But Moby Deep also didn't contribute that much to the overall big picture, but it was much more successful. I think Moby Deep was a filler episode that was good. I think this was yeah. not a good one. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, dude, We've had two filler episodes in a row, which mm-hmm. have taken a little bit more space, a little bit more structure. They might have been, you know, whatever. we got to make... 40 of these things so what are they all going to be about yeah versus trying to make like eight tight episodes where it's non-stop movement mm-hmm. but so much of that stuff becomes like pure plot driven like there's no room to breathe or learn and like hang out with the characters mm-hmm. which when it works can be great i don't know that's something i've been thinking about well it's like when we uh a big thing that people say like one of the lines people say i remember people saying this about avatar the last airbender a lot was the idea that if your filler episodes are done right, then they aren't filler. Like, they are... Yeah, yeah. And the last episode gave us what felt like really genuine character development for Sonic. What felt like an interesting example of how this world is being affected by mm. Robotnik, because we have this little, like, bubble of, like, what's happening specifically to this port town, and how does it affect these people? And, like, this group had to decide, like, joining Robotnik makes more sense for us right now. And, like, yeah. except for this one guy who was part of the entertainment industry. Like, it does a... <laughs> It does a good job of painting a broader picture of the world in a way that this one didn't because right. it really does feel like the whole episode was just meant to be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they were in this country? So so these two last two episodes are very much of a piece. Mm-hmm. 
Like, you can definitely say, like, they decided, okay, let's go to some different places. Let's see some different parts of how the world has changed or not, you know, the effects that it's having. And this one just, uh, that's a tricky thing to do, especially when you get into, like, dealing with other cultures that you may not be as familiar with and trying to write from other people's perspectives mm-hmm. that you're not fully equipped to, to do or whatever. You know, that's a, a tricky thing to, to get into and something that has to be done pretty carefully, if at all. And, um, you know, this one just didn't work out quite quite as well oh well (laughs) my last thought here is that i think this episode confirms that sonic underground is very interested in revisiting cultural items we've had brigadoon we've had moby dick Mm. we've had aladdin yeah this is a show that is actually really interested in putting sonic onto existing this is like almost like fan fiction (laughs) yeah interesting and and um playing on both the like shared cultural context of these things Mm -hmm. but also potentially introducing kids to them for the first time yeah like i don't know about you but i didn't read moby dick until i was 12 no but i will say i was (laughs) i was observing and reading and hearing references to moby dick from the time i was like one right exactly you know about the you know about the whale Mm -hmm. like fresh out of the oven yeah (laughs) like it doesn't matter how you can't escape the whale basically shows like animaniacs and and other things from this time period Mm -hmm. pure reference like all about the sort of shared cultural knowledge to varying degrees that is like less functional now i think in the last 10 or 15 years as i understand it like we're losing the monoculture that made this sort of thing work Mm -hmm. the way that it did then cartoons are a lot more successful uh, when they create more of their own internal context even if they include references outward yeah i don't know that's a a bigger picture kind of thing but no i think that's totally true and i think that but the the way that we are seeing those references change is I think originally what they sort of were a fill-in for was like, okay, we're going to do a dumb, goofy show. Yeah. And then we're going to make the parents not hate it because we're going to put references to stuff that they like right. in the show. And now they're trying, it seems like creators are trying to fix that same problem by just making shows that they take very seriously. They're like, well, let's make good shows <laughs> that everybody will like. Yeah, right, right. And then the shared context, like I'm thinking of especially of Adventure Time, which I'm finally catching up on. Mm-hmm. And I'm in, in like season seven and it, it it's totally wild and it's plenty of, you know, I've, I think I mentioned that last time too. But mm-hmm. like the attempt is... Um, sometimes to make a reference to another Mm -hmm. external object but in a lot of cases it's trying to find like a more distilled like human experience yeah like an emotion let's talk about an emotion you can have or like your friend leaving or more sort of common emotional truth type commonality Mm -hmm. maybe i think a a show that is more like that classic style but that is doing very well right now is gumball okay i think the uh, amazing world of gumball is very full of references uh and the way that it successfully does that is it uh it is pastiching entire genres or it's pastiching entire like styles of media like they'll do like a video game episode or they'll like where they'll like make final fantasy references but they will do it in a way that is broad enough that it kind of applies to video games sure it's less about specific celebrity references and more about like okay, what is this thing that kids know exists? And what is this, like, genre that kids, like, don't get a chance to play in very much because mystery always features murders? And how can we, like, bring that into this, like, kid zone and make it fun and make it engaging? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I only watched the first episode of that, but I really liked it. I'll watch some more of that. Yeah, it's super, super good. But by the way, 
Are you telling me they did a mystery without a murder? <laughs> I actually, I, uh, <laughs> I am not thinking of a specific Gumball episode. Okay, okay, because that does that. That's a little far fetched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there. I'm sure there's at least one or two murders. Like, what do you like? What's worth figuring out if it doesn't involve a death? <laughs> you know, I think you would love Gumball, and Gumball like is one of those interesting shows where like I think seeing snapshots of it or seeing short clips of it does not do it justice. Because that it, is exactly right. Because I yeah. had had uh, several of our friends tell me to watch Gumball, mm-hmm. and I just saw some screenshots of it. I wasn't whatever. I'd seen little tidbits of it and gone. I don't know. Well, I've seen a lot of frustrating tacky like cartoons that rely on being loud and like i hate i don't have a good time with a lot of those and so yes and it kind of outwardly stylistically appears to be that Mm -hmm. until like even just watching the first episode which i just did two or three weeks ago Mm -hmm. i was like oh this is delightful yeah like so well done it's deep and weird and like yes it's more like slapstick than other stuff i've been watching but it's very well done like yeah I liked it. So cool. Well, uh, cartoons can be good, but this <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else to say about this episode. Do you? No. Do you want to talk about Smash Brothers at all? Yeah. I just want to do a little Smash Corner. Welcome to the Smash Mouth. Smash Cut. Hi, we're the Smash Mouthers, and Hi. we... We're, and we're ready to smash mouth off about what they had Sakurai do on camera when he was being held hostage at the Nintendo <laughs> Direct today on well, Thursday, he, like, November 1st. SOS at us. He blinked so <laughs> slow one time. He blinked for uh, six or seven seconds. And then he said, I sure hope I get to have a break someday. Like, <laughs> I would love to take a break. And then his eyes are blinking like, please he save said, please, me. Please help in me. Morse code. I, I don't want to have to read any more tweets about what characters should or should not be in the game. Please do not make me think about <laughs> Waluigi again. I like the look of that uh, single-player mode a lot. I also do. I think the game overall looks like a little bit of a like mess. Like, it's a big pile of stuff. No, 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 no. Like, yes, it is a big pile of stuff, but does it look like I can ignore a lot of it if I want to? Yes. It does look like that for sure, and that's great. I guess, see, I think we're in the smorgasbord era of video games, Mm -hmm. right? I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2. The game's got way too many things in it. Yeah, too many things. Like, I don't need to be able to play every card game Mm -hmm. in a video game where what I want to do is walk around and look at flowers. One of the things I like about the new Spider-Man game is that it has a lower percentage of things than, like, most modern open-world games do, but it could still have, like, 25% fewer things. 25 to 50. Yeah, yeah. It could have 35 backpacks instead of 55 backpacks. Exactly. It could just completely skip the challenges. In order to achieve mass appeal and customer sat you have to give people what they want and we've recognized that people want different things Mm -hmm. and some people want to feed snacks to the ghosts of their video game friends and some people (laughs) just want to make other video game friends punch each other with statues of other video game friends yeah like you have to accommodate for everything. Some people want to go through like a top-down Pokemon world mm-hmm. where they where they save the they they take the golden like statues. Yeah, they take Mario's sap. Mario's sap that he gooped out uh-huh. from he was tied up with the truth lasso uh-huh. by a glowing hand. Mm-hmm. 
And then Goop came out and became golden tree statue Mario that fights you, and you have to fight that, and then some people want that, and some people just want to get their global smash rating up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everybody wants different things, and they're putting it all in there, and it is too much. But But I didn't really get to play Smash Wii very much, Mm -hmm. Wii U, whatever it was, and I'm very, 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 very excited to play this new video game. I'm also very excited. I think it's going to be amazing. It looks incredible. A lot of the heroes look really good, but I'm sorry, we're just not a true Smash fan until we complain. So who are you uh, sad is not in the game, and who are you going to write an angry letter to Sakurai about? Well, okay. First of all, I have already begun composing my letter, but I did it like a form letter so I could just like insert the name of the character. Mm-hmm. Like I was waiting. Could you give me a taste of wanna... it? Could you give me a taste of like what is it? What is it like okay. in the beginning? It's How like... do you introduce yourself to Sakurai? I say. Because remember, you really early on, you have to establish your ethos. Like he has to know that you matter in the like overall fandom. My dearest Sakurai. Mm-hmm. Nothing matters to me more than video games. Okay, well, that's see, why see, Smash. Br- there's like there's like okay. two thousand other people that are like at I'm least two it. to five thousand other people. So I need you to give me like a punchier like why do I okay. Sakurai care? I'll be Sakurai. Why do My I dear- care, Nicholas? Why do I care? My most esteemed Sakurai. Mm-hmm, that's me, Waluigi. Where he at? No, see, I like. You know, I, ca- I like that. That's a good start. That's strong. Okay, what we, I'm sorry. Because that gets my. That's like my thesis statement. Mm-hmm. And you really want to start with the lead, yeah. But then I go, pardon me. Let me explain. Okay, he likes politeness. That's really good. And that sort of establishes like we're polite, and it's and then I and then I type, slow blink. Because like a cat, mm-hmm. when you approach Sakurai, you need to give him the slow blink and kind of turn your head to the side so that he knows it's safe. Okay. And then he's trying to do the same thing, except he's trying to tell us it's not safe. It's not safe here at Smash Headquarters. <laughs> they keep making me make more characters. The thing, okay, okay. Uh, here's the, my favorite thing is how many times he lied. Oh my god! I love being lied to in a product announcement. I actually love. They it. lie so much in all of these directs. <clears throat> it's so good because he's because like it, like several months ago he was like, well. We've got about 50 characters, and that's enough. And he was like, he was like, we're not going to, there's not going to be as many new characters this time, and I hope you guys will be chill about that. And then <laughs> <laughs> went on to say, but in fact, there's every character from every previous Smash game. Yeah, and there's 20 more. We're going to release 20 more this time. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love I, straight up lie to me yeah i don't care and today even the like release of piranha plant was after a lie of saying this is all of the games this is all the characters in the game and then they're like oh just kidding this (laughs) one's gonna come a little bit after the game comes out and then also we're selling dlc for five more characters yeah you can pay 25 more human dollars to get unknown characters that we haven't even started yet but trust me they're gonna be good we ask that you only buy this if you trust us yeah they even said they're like and i don't trust you no because you just lied. <laughs> you just lied to me except so many times. The thing, but except the thing you lied about was that there was no Piranha Plant, and then you told me there is a Piranha Plant, so I trust you again. I love that PD Piranha is his final smash. It's so cute. I love it. I was so excited by the Piranha Plant. Mm-hmm. The moves look good. Like, I actually, of all the characters I've seen so far, and I saw some tweets that were like, Piranha Plant? I was like, no. Mm-hmm. I'm hype as heck yeah. about PD Piranha. He flies. He spit. He fly, he spit, um, from he pot, he hit. Like, 
he's very good and i want to act oh i want to act so much like i can't walk mm-hmm. like i'm just like oops oh, no. i'm just a potted plant <laughs> and then i'm gonna be like bah, 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 bah. i liked when the villager watered him and then he got big i liked that too mm-hmm. you, oh you mean the villageois yeah, the, village. the dweops owner <laughs> 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 I absolutely want to play this video game in multiple languages. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved including. I just can't all believe these words. I can't believe that he was like, "I know this is really important to you." So we've included the Pokemon's voice as we've given the Pokemon a different voice for every different like cartoon voice that it had. Yeah, and I'm just like, whoa! I can't believe that he has to Why? worry about this because yes, he knows every single detail someone will complain about, and it really is like the story mode. Got all these floating hands. Mm-hmm. I saw on each hand a Twitter handle. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, each of these hands are all of the fans thinking they know how to play the game. <laughs> but it's their obsession that leads them to evil and ultimately kills the things they love. Yep, I think that's exactly true. I, I, I think of how funny it is that he included when he said like you're gonna start out with a small roster and i know it looks small like very apologetically i know it looks small and then he's like but actually it's the exact roster from the first game that you loved so uh, chill that's out such a good burn <laughs> <laughs> yes and they included footage from 64 mm-hmm. that's like oh boy wow like, they... you loved this video game and what's wrong with you how did you grow it to be this horrible person that you are yeah, now yeah this unhappy so greedy dissatisfied <laughs> In the original game, they were all toys who were existing in the imagination world. And their goal was to win so they could return to the real world. They could be set free. That was the goal in the first game? That's what he said. Whoa. I didn't remember that. I mean, I know know that, like, I think that that was only told with, like... Yeah. That had to have been some, just, like, a visual. No, it's all, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, you win, you beat Master Hand... And then, like, if you're Mario, the little Mario toy, like, just goes blip, 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 and falls onto the table. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, back in the real world. But I never thought that they were fighting to escape from, like, the torment of your imagination. Yeah. Like, they want to get <laughs> free of what you want. And that's what Sakurai wants. Yeah, because Master Hand, Master Hand is a, a human who is in control of them that they are now, like, fighting to get back. Uh-huh. And the, and that ultimately they do they fight the hand that moves them. But you know you're saying it's a lot like the end of Near Automata. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you're saying you're saying that's what Sakurai wants, but really, uh, in that it's almost like the the toys are us, right? And Sakurai is the hand we are fighting against. Like, stop limiting us. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's giving us the the, the biggest toy box he can possibly imagine. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying just to saying. say, yeah, you, but I, you're. You're not wrong. The thing is, we're all we can all be the hand in our own way. Mm-hmm. And if you don't watch out, you're gonna bond together with hundreds of uh, you're gonna form a flash mob of hands and then become like the eight winged glove who sings a song that ends the universe. That angel was so scary. Yeah, even in Subspace Emissary, they were toys. They were still like turning into trophies. And yeah, it's still that somehow. But they sort of they're like statues in more of the imagination world i don't mm-hmm. know but i did like that song too it was fine she sang so many words she sang a lot of words i yeah i liked it i think that's it for us today that's it probably for us. Right? that's what i got it. i don't have to talk about it anymore 
thank you for uh, making me watch the Smash Direct. Of and, course. Uh, thank you for watching it. Thank you for being willing to watch Sonic Underground with me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for watching Sonic with me. Thanks for recording another <laughs> week. I can't wait for us to get started on our re- like real life season, our new stuff. I'm excited oh to tell everybody about it. We're almost there. Yep. Thanks to Goodnight Productions and Dave Duncan for our theme song. Yes. Thanks to Carly Rae Jepsen for giving us the gift of Party of One today. New Carly Rae! Thank you to Sakurai for hopefully all the breaks you're going to take. Thanks for taking all the breaks. I think he's probably fine and just like playing it up, but I don't know that for sure. He might not be allowed to leave HAL Laboratory. I really also hope that he's fine. Because especially when we've been talking about Crunch lately, I don't like imagining that people's complaints are making things worse for him yeah i didn't love that either and that 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 joke about like wow we're having to work too hard on this is a little it's that's actually real but i liked some of the honesty there like i yes. liked that they said we didn't do the trophies because it takes so much work and i was like yeah somebody has to model all those wow yeah but then he but then it was like we didn't we, because it was like too hard to program but we did make this whole other game where you like like your characters have Diablo sockets and you put ghosts of other characters into them and you feed them and they are going on adventures while you're not even playing. And like, that wasn't too hard. To but play. that was easy and it took no time. <laughs> yeah. And we made the and you can and you unlock the spirits by doing themed battles where they're all dressed up as different things. Like what? I don't know about this whole thing. But luckily, they do take as long as they want to make a Smash game. Mm-hmm. And they act like they're not going to do it for a long time. So hopefully all of this is like building on the framework that they've established with earlier games and mm-hmm. like going, hey, let's just put as much as we can in there. Mm-hmm. And I hope they have a good time. Well, time for us to go back into the lab and uh, do our dark work. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next week, which yeah, for us, week. I guess, is going to be in a couple of weeks. Yeah, whenever um, it is. See ya. <laughs> Whenever that really happens. And if you haven't already uh, recently, like tell your friends about it. Let them know that we're back. Uh, and put a review on iTunes if you haven't yeah, done that yet. If you feel like it. Review. Yeah. It helps us and it'll help some people find us. We're in that, you know, very competitive <laughs> industry of podcasts. And I think we might technically still be video game category. So we might have to look at that. Yeah, I guess so. I'm just glad anybody listens. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. We don't need more people exactly, but we do need... I just need more attention. Well, I think more people need us. That's yeah. the thing. <laughs> That's, That's really the thing. what That's it is. That's why we're here. <laughs> All right. I'm so uh, glad you said what everyone was thinking, and uh, I will see you soon, Nick. Bye, Caleb. My name. My name's Nick Splendor. I'm Caleb Zane Hewitt. And this is how we end the show. You're too You're too <laughs> Now what episode? Now what? I don't know if we can sing together when we're not in the same room. I don't know that it's ever going to sync up properly, and I'm I'm so sad about that. Oh, I just assumed you would cut it. It is going to get cut.